Jesus, when I think about you, I, th- I think about your current location, just seated at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling, with just thousands and, and ten thousands of angels gathered around your throne, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. I just thank you, Jesus, that um, even as I think about that, the fact that uh, you are not dead, but you are alive just gives us so much hope and so much comfort and so much courage that we worship a Savior who came to this earth, who died the death that we deserved, but three days later rose from the dead and has now ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day we'll come back. And that is absolutely amazing to me this morning. That we don't worship Savior who was in the ground and dead and buried and then done. But Jesus, you are alive. And you're moving in our lives. You're moving in this world. And we just say thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the fact, the the promise that that one day you will return. And we say um, to you this morning, Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. But until that happens, I do ask that many hearts hearts of people all around this community, all around this world, would come to know you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. I pray that there would be an awakening uh, in your body, in the church, that people's hearts would be stirred with greater affection to you, uh, Jesus. But that also people who don't know you would come into relationship with you. But we just ask for an awakening, for a revival, whatever word we want to use, God, we ask that, that your kingdom would come in powerful ways, that your will would be done in our lives and all around this community. We pray against anything that is hindering that work. We pray against any um, obstacle in the spiritual realm. We ask for your kingdom to come, for our eyes to be open this morning to see you, Jesus, more clearly. We love you. We thank you for the hope that is found in you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. We're going to turn to Mark chapter 10 this morning. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Mark uh, chapter 10. But... uh, in a little bit, we are going to uh, have cake, um, and uh, cake is usually a uh, time of celebration and um, all of that, you know, birthday celebration and, and, or wedding celebration, whatever, uh, but this morning we are saying uh, thank you, and I guess it's a celebration, but uh, more of a thank you uh, to Tyler for his uh, gift of service and leading us in worship uh, for the past little bit. And uh, if you were here the last uh, couple, two weeks ago, we shared that uh, today was going to be uh, Tyler's uh, last Sunday leading worship. Um, God has been doing a work in his heart, and uh, um, he's just been responding to the Holy Spirit's leading in his life, um, just uh, calling him out of this role and into something. And we don't know exactly what that is yet, but uh, I wanted to give him just a, a couple minutes to share here with us uh, more of what God has been doing in his life as a way of testimony and sharing his heart uh, with all of you. And so, Tyler. Uh, has some things that he wants to share, and so, yeah, come on up and, and share those. And yeah. we're going to pray for Tyler after the service, and then also have cake. I might smush the cake in his face. Who knows? You know, it'll be fun. I'm just kidding. It'll be good I'm practice for the wedding we're, coming Good up. practice yeah. for your upcoming wedding, exactly. Right. So, go ahead and share. Yeah, thank you. I like um, how you said that, that um, I just want to share kind of what God's doing in my heart and my life, and, and ultimately, it's, I wanted to, I guess, talk about this in a way that's not, it's really not about me, and it's really more about um, what I think God has to say for restoration and for his church as a whole. And there's just a lot of thoughts and emotions um, that have been swimming in me. So I, I just wrote a lot of this down, and so I apologize if I feel a little glued to this, but I just don't want to miss anything, and I want to 
I guess, say what I feel like God has really called me to say um, in, in light of, of, of this. So um, I want to get to a couple verses that have just been really pressing on me, but um, just a little bit about the journey uh, for me. Um, just about eight years ago now, I was just about to graduate from Taylor University, and I was planning on going to grad school that fall. I was working at my friend's nonprofit over the summer. My whole plan was to go and get my master's in music and work to become a choral composer. That was my fun dream. Um, but over the course of that summer, uh, there was an opportunity to do an internship at a church in the city, Holland, Michigan, where I had never been before. And as I began to serve at that church over that summer, um, just a different plan began to unfold for me. And um, it's a simple way to put it was that God had begun to lead me away from my plans and into his plans. Um, and it was something that I had never really considered for myself or, or really necessarily wanted. Um, but it, it was taking me from a place where I was sort of comfortable with where I was going and into a place that was really uncomfortable and, and really foreign to me. And there were a lot of challenges and growing pains. But through that process, um, I really had so much peace in my heart because I was so certain that God was with me um, and that God had called me to that place, and that he was walking with me through those, the bumps in the road and the messiness of ministry and all those different things. And I, I look back over the last eight years of just what I've seen in this area, and I guess I just want to say with so much confidence and conviction that God has done and God is still doing a powerful, transformative work in this place. Um, what I've seen him do in my life, what I've seen him do in the church, what I've seen him do like in the youth of this area um, has been amazing. And I think what I've come to realize and, and really what God has spoken to me, especially in the last few months, is that none of that has happened because I'm a worship leader. Like none of that has happened because Dave is a pastor. Um, because the reality is that we all have the same calling that's been placed on our lives and on our hearts. We all have what, what is called like a primary calling, like a primary purpose from the Lord. And I want to talk about what that is, I guess, because as I'm transitioning out of the role in ministry that I've been in, I'm not transitioning out of that primary calling. I'm not transitioning out of what God has really placed in me to do. And um, I just want to talk about what that is, because that's what I think God wants to say to this whole church. Um, and there's two passages in Matthew that I think summarize our calling as followers of Jesus. And so the first one's in Matthew 28. I think this is, yeah, this is up on the screen here. This is the last, uh, the last verses of, of the gospel of Matthew. This is the last thing that Jesus says um, to his disciples. Um, and many of you know this. This is called the Great Commission. But it says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And when I read this, you know, this isn't the calling of a leader in a church. This isn't the calling of full-time missionaries. This is a call given to all followers of Jesus to go and make disciples, to show others the love of Jesus, baptizing them, reuniting them with their father and with their creator so that they can know that they're a child of God, that they're a masterpiece created in the image of God, that they can be set free from sin and shame and death and receive mercy and grace and love and healing. That's kind of one half of what I, I think about my calling as a father of Jesus. Um, 
And the second part is from Matthew 22, a little bit earlier, um, in verses 30 through, uh, 35 through 40. Um, this is what this says. Uh, this is a Pharisee. It says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And I've always loved that. Um, and I love how clear that is for us. And I, I look at um, sometimes us as Christians and as the church, and we spend so much time splitting hairs and splitting doctrines apart and ultimately splitting into denominations and different camps. And sometimes I even ask myself, like, what is the most important thing? What is the thing we're supposed to emphasize in our lives as, as Christians? Um, you know, and, and in the middle of all these controversial issues of the day, and a time where it feels so divisive, not even outside of the church, but even inside the church sometimes, sometimes I just ask myself, like, what is actually the most important thing? What is the greatest commandment? And I'm so happy that a Pharisee asked this 2,000 years ago, um, and we know what the answer is. Um, and it's number one, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and Jesus even says that everything stems from these two things, every law, every commandment, every social issue, every doctrine, everything hang, hangs on those two things. I, one way I, I read someone put this is um, like a coat rack. Like if, you, if these two laws are, are two, you know, on the door, everything else comes from that. Everything else stems from that. Um, and, you know, that's what I want my life to look like. That's what I want my future wife to look like. That's what I want my future kids to look like. Um, that's what I want the church to look like. Um, that's my prayer for restoration. That's my prayer for my life, that we would be followers of Jesus who are making disciples by loving God with all of our hearts and our mind and our soul and our strength and loving his children with everything that we have. That's, like our, that's our true primary calling as Christians and as followers of Jesus. And for me, um, God has called me to do that in one way for the last eight years. That's been kind of the secondary calling, the secondary part of that. And he's made it so clear to me that even though um, there's a lot of hard things and a lot of emotions of stepping away um, and stepping into, again, a season that's uncomfortable and a season that's foreign to me, I have so much peace because I know that God is with me, but also I know what my calling is um, because that's not going to change with seasons. That's not going to change with jobs. That's not going to change with churches. And um, so that, that's what I want to encourage you with this morning as the church that no matter where you are, no matter where you're going, um, for those that are going to be going overseas with Overland um, into missions, for those that are, are called to other places of work um, in this area, um, if you feel like you're wandering maybe or if you feel like you don't have a purpose, you have um, a, an eternal, unbelievably powerful calling um, that does not change no matter what your circumstances are. And even if the temporary things that you're holding on to are taken from you, you are a child of God with the Holy Spirit living within you. Um, and he's going to use you to do amazing things in the name of Jesus. And um, so I know we're going to pray over me um, in a little bit later, but I would just love to pray over you, the church, um, and just take a minute to do that. So why don't we just bow our heads together? So Holy Spirit, um, we're just so um, honored to be here this morning in your presence and um, this is my prayer for the church, um, and I know it's your prayer for the church that we would um, just be moved and, 
and encouraged uh, to, to live into our primary calling as a disciple of Jesus, to love those around us, and more importantly, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Lord, I know even this body right now, there's, um, there's pain and there's uncertainty and there's brokenness. And I just praise you and I thank you that um, in those moments and in those places, in those seasons of, of darkness, Lord, you, you reach out to us and you walk with us and you meet us there. And so, Lord, um, for the church and for this world, Lord, we just pray, may your kingdom come. That is ultimately our prayer, that you would use us to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And I just so thank you for the opportunity that we have to meet together as the body of Christ and encourage one another and lift one another up in the name of Jesus. And Lord, may you continue to move by your power and move by your spirit um, to do that work here on earth. And so, Lord, we just surrender this place to you. I surrender my life to you. We surrender our, our jobs, our, our careers, everything. We give it um, into your hands. And we pray, Lord, may you use us um, to continue to do a mighty and powerful thing in this area. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Tyler. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Tyler and I were talking, uh, a month or so ago, um, and his heart is just that he wants to serve. And as he was wrestling, like, okay, Lord, where do I do this? And has served us uh, through leading worship. And I remember times that we had over at Compassion Heart and singing Graves in the Gardens and, and just singing together uh, with Tyler leading that uh, there's, there's none better than you. And uh, I just so appreciate uh, that the heart that you led us into uh, of worship. Um, and now as you've been wrestling, like, okay, I don't know if this is where you know, God has me. And just, uh, God, what is the next step? Um, the number one desire of his heart uh, is to serve. And I love that you challenged all of us uh, today, this morning, uh, with that, um, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, and to to invite us into greater depths of service. And that's what you're going to step into. That's what we all want to step in, into uh, for the very specific reason of seeing the kingdom of God come here to earth. And so I want to press more into that um, and have us turn to Mark chapter 10. And really, this is the, the theme of... Uh, of I think what the Lord would want us to want to say to us this morning is um, a greater depth uh, of service. And frankly, the verse that we're going to look at uh, this morning, I'm going to highlight a couple different things in there. But um, it's not hard to understand the verse that uh, we're going to look at uh, this morning. Um, it's easy to understand. It's easy to understand uh, what Jesus is saying. It's very clear. Jesus is not complicated. He's like, this is how I want you to live. This is what the kingdom looks like. The difficulty, though, comes in actually living it out because we're, we're battling the flesh. You know, at least I am like on a regular basis. Like I know the way of the kingdom of God. I know the, what Jesus is inviting me into on a daily basis to, to become a servant, to die to self more and more. But frankly, the flesh wants to hold on and say like, no, you know, it's, it's okay where you're at. And there's this battle that I bet is in each side of us, is in, in all of us. is like, okay, we want to serve, we want to live for the kingdom, but our flesh rears its ugly head and is like, you know what, you know, it's okay, um, live for yourself. And there's this interesting interaction between Jesus and uh, James and John in Mark chapter 10. And uh, I want to just uh, dive into this uh, this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. And there's just some very interesting things in, in this passage and um, a lot of challenge to us this morning. Mark 10, uh, starting in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, 
came up to him, came up to Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Now, I want to pause here a second. You can keep the verse up there, Piper. Like, look at James and John. Okay, right before this, frankly, uh, Jesus said, I am going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And that was the third time that Jesus said, this is what is going to happen in Jerusalem. I am, my way, I am on my way to Jerusalem and I'm going to, to die a death on the cross and I'm going to die so that uh, the sins can be forgiven. Like this is the purpose for which Jesus came. And so Jesus just shared that, actually just right before this, he shared in detail what was about to happen. And then James and John pop up and said, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, if you go back to Mark chapter 1, just three short years before, Jesus came up to James and John. Remember, they were fishermen, chilling out by the water, you know, hanging out, fishing. They had uh, not been smart enough to make it in their education system. They were just living, uh, just doing the father's, their father's business. And Jesus comes up and he says to them, come and follow me. And they were so moved that it says at once they dropped their nets and they followed him. And just three short years later, I look at this and it's like these roles are reversed. All of a sudden, James and John come up to Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. We are the boss. You work for us. I mean, how often have we kind of been in that spot with Jesus? Jesus, we want you to do this for us. We're the boss. You're working for us. Do for us whatever we ask you to do. Leads me to the question, at the end of the day, and we have to wrestle with this, Who is in charge of your life? Who is the king of your castle? Who is really in control of your life? Are you trying to hold on to control, saying, I want, this is how I want my life to live, be lived? This is what I want my life to look like? Jesus, you need to do this for me? Or are we fully coming to Jesus, surrendered to him, and say, It's your will above my own? And I love that in here, Jesus kind of plays along. They come to him and they say, you know, do for us whatever we ask you to do. And Jesus is like, well, what do you want? And they come and they say, well, we want a place of honor. We want to sit on your left and to your right. We want those, you know, prestigious spots um, as you go and and you prepare your kingdom. See, they were thinking that he was going to go to Jerusalem and set up his earthly kingdom there in Jerusalem. And they're like, your throne is going to be there. And so we want to sit on your left and your right. We want this position of honor. And here I look at them. They wanted an important place in this earthly kingdom. And they completely missed the nature of the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. They completely missed it. They were asking for a throne. They were asking to sit on his left and to right. And they completely missed the very nature of the kingdom of God. It makes me think too, like how often have we missed it? How often have we missed it in our lives what the kingdom of God looks like? How often do we think, well, we know exactly what God has in store for us, but we completely miss it? Are there any areas in our lives where we are blind, where we're not seeing correctly, where we are following the example of James and John? I think this is a very healthy question to ask of ourselves on a regular basis. Are we blind in any area? 
to get to a place of humility and say, is there an area where we are wrong in our lives, where we're not following Jesus like we should? Are we humbly saying, you know what, Jesus is show me any area where I'm off. So here, James and John, they come to Jesus and they ask this arrogant question. Do for us whatever we ask you to do. We're the boss, you're working for us. And I find that it's so interesting that this passage, this story is in Scripture. Because frankly, in all honesty, this is not a good look for James and John. This is not their best moment. But what I love is how Jesus responds to them. He doesn't throw them out. No, he lovingly clarifies some things, which gives me a lot of hope. Because if I want to know how is Jesus going to interact with me, I have to look at the disciples and how did he interact with the disciples? He brought them along. He was patient with them. He was patient with them because he who began that good work in them is going to be faithful to complete it. And he's going to be patient with you and I. And so Jesus brings clarity. This is what he says in verse 38. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. I like that. You're like, you have no clue. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, yeah, we're able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Jesus is saying, like, you don't know what you're asking. The cup that that I'm going to drink is this cup of judgment, Jesus was saying. The cup of of judgment um, that that God has poured out on evil. I'm going to to drink this cup and I'm going to uh, satisfy the wrath of God. But I'm also going to be baptized, like fully immersed in suffering. Like, are you prepared to live that way? You want a place of honor? That's what it's going to take. And the disciples are like, oh, we can do that. Like, you can kind of feel and sense the arrogance in them. Like, we can do that. And then he goes on and explains even more like, okay, this is the life that you are going to live. And then verse 41 says, when the 10, the other 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Imagine if you were in the 12, okay, and you heard a couple people say, Jesus, we want these great positions. Even in Mark chapter 9, they were arguing about who was the greatest, Like that is just, imagine being in that group of of these band of brothers who are arguing back and forth and then you heard the audacity of James and John to ask for the best positions, you would be indignant, you would be pretty upset. And these disciples were, were enraged. They're like, how dare you? And then Jesus called to them in verse 42 and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Pretty much Jesus was saying, you know how the Gentiles live? You are actually living like them. You're living like the world. Knock it off. You're acting like the world where they have a position of power and they lord it over people. And then he goes on and says, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be servant. Your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And I love verse 43. He said, you know what? He said, this shall not be among you. Don't live this way. And in the NLT it says, among you it will be different. You are called 
to live differently. He says the kingdom of God, the way of of glory, the way of, of becoming great is actually to become less. You want more, you have to give more up. You want this, uh, this greatness, you have to become a servant of all. And he says in the kingdom of God, the way up is actually the way down. It's the way of the cross. And I can't help but think about Mary, Jesus' mother in this situation. Faced with these huge obstacles. You're going you're gonna to have a child. Well, I haven't even had sex yet. I'm a virgin. How's that going to be? Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Can you imagine the ridicule that she would have heard in her day and the questions that she would have asked. But what does Mary say in Luke chapter one? She says, I am the Lord's servant. I'm yours completely. And this is what Jesus was inviting his 12 disciples into. You want to be great? You must become a servant. And like I said before, this is really easy to understand up here. Really easy to get it. I bet you're like thinking, yeah, I understand it but really difficult to get into here, into our hearts, to actually live it out. Because when push comes to shove, and we get tired, and we get to the end of our day, we're like, I just want life to be about me. But Jesus is calling us into greater depths of service. And I think in two areas. I think in two areas. First of all, in the church, in the body of Christ. I have that verse up there, and it will stay up there. Are we living differently? Are we living differently? Are we laying down our life for one another? And frankly, I look at yesterday and uh, as Nick was in the accident, man, I can honestly answer that question. We are living differently. It was about seven o'clock in the morning and all of a sudden the text came through and then Nick was like, I'm in a bad accident and I'm in a bad uh, spot. And all of a sudden the text just started flooding in and people were flooding to the accident and encouraging him and all of that. I'm like, we are living differently. The way that I've seen the body of Christ surround the Whiteman family in this very difficult time, we are living differently. And there's story after story after story that, that comes of the body of Christ living differently and laying down our life for one another. And I love it. And I get so stinking encouraged when I hear these stories. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. People serving one another so, so well. And I look at the body of Christ and I have such a strong desire to see us doing this even better in the future. Because for so long, and this is a whole other message, but I'm just going to just share just really briefly on this. For so long, the body of Christ has operated in a way that is fraternal in nature. You know what the word fraternal means? It means to relate to one another as brothers. You know, think of fraternity. Think of frat brothers. They're, they're, they're in it. They're, they're, they have a common purpose and they're, they're going, you know, in, in one direction together. But there's also like these frat brothers or these brothers like who are just at odds with one another and trying to outdo one another. And I think for so long, the church has had that type of culture where we're looking at each other and we're kind of trying to outdo one another, kind of like James and John. We're trying to prove to, to one another that we're better than each other. And what is needed in our culture, in the church culture, is to have more of a paternal culture. Paternal means to relate to the father. Instead of looking at one another and outdoing one another, we have to realize that everything that we have comes from the Father. It's all a gift. James and John, the fact that they were were following Jesus was a gift of His grace. Everything that we have, everything that they have came from Jesus. Everything that we have comes from Jesus. And so when we look at one another, we have to see each other not as competition and trying to outdo one another or criticizing one another, but we have to see each other through the Father. 
And as we do that, we get to encourage one another, spur one another on, honor one another. When we see the success of another person, we're not like, oh, you know, they're getting more attention than, than I am. No, we're celebrating that. We're celebrating the ways that the kingdom of God has come through our brothers and sisters in Christ. When it comes to the church, we have a greater, I think there's so much more that we can do for one another in laying down our lives for each other. And that in and of itself tells the world, shows the world of the greatness of Jesus. Because it says, Jesus said, the world is going to know that you're my followers by the way you love one another. And so to be a servant is to love the body of Christ better. To forgive each other when we hurt each other. To encourage one another on. Say, hey, you can do this. There's more that God has for you. But I also think and I believe that we need to serve the world a lot better. Serve our community a lot better. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts. So this is God speaking. The God of Israel. To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. From Jerusalem to Babylon. So here the, the Israelites, they're taken into captivity. They're over in Babylon. And this is the instruction that God gave to them. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Pretty much he's saying, hey, live there. Live there. Build homes. Live in that city. But here's how I want you to live. Next verse. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Like this verse, like, blows me away. The Babylons, Babylonians, they were the enemies of Israel. And what is God asking Israel to do in the land that they were taking captivity into? Work for the welfare of the city. Love the city. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This is what God was inviting the Israelites into, in, into doing. Like, love your, the people that took you into captivity. This is absolutely crazy. Love those who don't believe the same way that you do. Love those who don't talk the same way that you do. The way that you win over people is not through power and control and trying to seize control, but it is this subversive underground movement of love and grace and compassion and working for the welfare of the city so that when people who don't agree with you, who don't believe the same thing that you believe, look at the city and they're unable to imagine the city without you. Because they're like, wow, I might not agree with this person, but the way that they're loving their neighbors, the way that they're loving others, makes the city a better place. My heart is now more open to hear what they're saying. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of the kingdom of God. To enter into our world, to enter into our communities with uh, our hands and saying, hey, how can I serve? Whose feet can I wash? And this especially strikes us right in the face as we go through the next couple weeks, because at the very core of our faith, the very foundation of our worldview is Jesus. And how did he respond? How did he respond to those who put him up on the cross? How did he respond to his enemies? He hung there, dying for their sins, and he says, Father, forgive them. 
for they do not know what they do. If you are a follower of Jesus, at the very core of your worldview is Jesus, who came not seeking to be served, but to serve, and he loved his enemies. You don't get, you don't transform a person's heart through power and control. You transform it through love and laying down your life. Jesus did that for us, and he's inviting us into that way of life to lay it all down. Why? So that people don't see us, but they see Jesus, and they fall in love with Jesus. We are in exile. Philippians 3.20 says that. You are citizens of heaven. How are we to live in exile? It's exactly what Jesus said. If you want to be great, and I believe I want to call us all into that greatness, if you want to be great, you must become a servant of all. And so right now, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, is your life marked by service? Is your life, are you living the life of a servant. And this is nothing to do with earning salvation. This is everything to do of living in light of the salvation that we've received. We have received grace upon grace upon grace. And Jesus is inviting us into a lifestyle of laying it all down. Is your life marked by a great level of service? Or maybe another way of putting it is, where is God inviting you to step in and serve? Are you willing to get uncomfortable for the sake of the kingdom of God? I think we might say we want to, but our life demonstrates something different. And this is just God lovingly tugging us along, saying there's more and more for you. So I want to have Tyler and the team come up. And I want us to sing this song. I want you to stand. And as they prepare, I just want to pray. And I want you to continue to ask the Holy Spirit those questions. Is your life marked by service? Are you laying down every area of your life? Or are you still trying to hold on to control of your life? Jesus, I, I just love, I love that verse. It says, if you want to be great, you must become a servant of all. You must become less. And I just think, like, you, you want to expand your kingdom through us, your kids. You want to work through us. You invite us into that. And that's what blows me away. Because you can do anything that you want to do, but you invite us into that. And I ask that you would remove anything that isn't getting us in the way, getting in the way of us laying down everything for you. God, we so want to see your kingdom come. We so want to see your will be done. And this morning we are saying, do that through us. Show us the areas where we're trying to hold on to control. Show us the areas of our lives where we are gripping tightly. And I ask that we would live surrendered lives to you, King Jesus. And like the words that we're going to sing, that we would just really live it out, that you're worthy of it all. You're worthy of every part of our life. For you gave everything for us. We say thank you. That's in your name, Jesus, I pray.